created to enjoy God, blessed to bless others, placed to work hard, called to crush evil, and sent to do good. I am a man. One year ago, we finished Man of Gideon. How many of you are part of Man of Gideon? Cool. And the main theme of Man of Gideon was that God has called us something, and we need to, to step into that calling. If you were part of Man of Gideon last year, you remember that I wore you out with emails until you met with me afterwards. By the way, I'm going to do the same thing in the next couple weeks. I want to sit at the table with each and every one of you men to help you understand and apply this particular list to your everyday life. And it's my pleasure to do that. So when you get an email from me, don't ignore it. Just respond to it. If you don't want to meet with me, just do it anyway and get it over with. Just get it over with. And just be nice and say everything's fine, and then I'll go, we'll go on our merry way. But I want to sit at the table with each of you because last year I sat at the table with Todd right after we finished Man of Gideon in that back corner booth where I like to meet. And I asked Todd this question. I said, Todd, when God calls you by name, what name does he call you? He said, I don't know. I said, well, Todd, who has God called you to lead? He goes, I'm having a hard time putting the answer to that as well. I said, all right, where has God called you to go? These were all the main question marks of last year's Man of Gideon. And it got all the way down to, I could tell that something was happening inside of Todd that was keeping him from being able to legitimately answer these questions. And so I backed up with a question that was even larger and more fundamental than all of those. I said, Todd, will you tell me about your spiritual journey? And he said, Jay, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, well, your, your faith journey, your encounter with Jesus, your... Your spiritual rhythms, your time with God. By the way, I called Todd last night to make sure and to ask explicit permission if I could share this story today. As with all the stories that I'll share today, we got explicit phone permission last night. He said, please share that. So I said, Todd, what's your spiritual journey? He said, I don't know what you mean. And I said, your encounter with God. He goes, I, I don't know if I have a spiritual journey and I said, can I explain to you what kind of spiritual journey I'm talking about? And I laid out the six parts of a spiritual journey. And I said, of these six parts, where are you? And he was at step two. He said, I'm spiritually interested. I said, awesome. If you're interested, Todd, would you be willing to read a book called Jesus Is, written by Judah Smith, and just investigate the claims of Christianity through the lens of Jesus. He goes, sure. I said, hold on a minute. I'll get it out of my car. I came back with the Jesus Is book and one of these Bibles. I said, will you also read the book of John at the same time you're reading this book? Because John is the scriptural account of Jesus, and this is the everyday I can understand who Jesus is book to go along with it. Will you read both of those? He said, yes. I didn't see Todd again or hear from him for months. I'm sure that was my fault. I'm sure I didn't send enough emails or whatever. But for whatever reason, there was no communication between Todd and I for a couple months until the very end of the year. And I just pinged him right at the end of the year to see how he was doing. And he says, Jay, I want to catch up with you. So we sat right on the other side of those doors 
almost six months after that first booth conversation. And I had a whole list of questions I was going to ask Todd about where he was. And before I got into my laundry list, he said, Jay, I've got some great news. I said, well, what is it? He says, I'm all in. I'm like, is this an Amway presentation? And am I about to get asked to join? Am I about to be all in? He said, Jay, I'm all in. I said, what do you mean? He said, I read that Jesus is book. And I read the Gospel of John. And I backed up and read it again. And I kept reading it until I understood who Jesus was. And I received Jesus as my Savior. I'm all in. Jay, it's changed my... Can we clap for that? Right. He said, I'm all in. It's changed my life. It's given me purpose. Some of the questions that I had have been answered. It's changed some of how I do my marriage. Uh, I've, it's changed how I enter my men's community. I'm all in. He says, Jay, I want to talk to you about baptism. And when it warms up, I'd like to get baptized. This was in January. I said, Todd, it's like 80 degrees today. We could do this. He said, no, i got to get my family together. I said, oh, I get it. I get it. So we've tried to coordinate this baptism discussion. And then I get this email last week. Let me read this. Let me read two sentences from this email to you that I got last week. He says, Jay, I saw you at the UT club this morning. I was there for a Bible study. I wasn't clubbing around. Though I didn't want to interrupt your breakfast. I wanted to share with you that due to your influence and faith leadership, I was baptized two days ago in Nicaragua. I want to thank Bob Springer and Jeff Miller, the men on the mission trip, and probably most importantly, my wife, for helping to guide me to Jesus Christ. So way to go, Bob Springer and Jeff Miller. Way to go. You were in your place. You invited Todd year, uh, uh, over a year ago to the 10 the men's Bible study at uh, Gene. Where's Gene? Gene Host uh, and James Stanley. And Todd began to investigate the claims of Christ before he really came to know who Jesus was. And God worked in his life. That, my friends, that, my friends, is what might be on the cusp for you. I fully well believe that there's multiple Todds in the room today. And when I asked Todd last night, can I have permission to share your story? He said, yes, because there'll be some like me in that room who have been around this conversation, been exposed to this conversation, bumped up against it, served at the church, maybe even attended a couple of small groups, but have never fully understood what it came to realize to come out of that bushes, release control, and receive Jesus as the Savior. And I want to queue up this morning. If you're a Todd in the room, today could be your day. Paul said it this way. He says, today is the day of salvation. Like, let's don't put it off to another day. There's something critical about today. This day. So if you're a Todd in the room. I welcome you. I'm glad that you're here. And I'd like for you to listen closely as we unpack who Jesus is this morning. We're going to specifically talk about this idea of that we are called by God through the power of Jesus to crush the evil in our, in our own life, in our family, 
Not to crush our family, don't get me wrong, but to crush the evil that's present in our family and to crush the evil that's present in this community and in our city and in the world and beyond. Y'all, we're only 5% of the world. 95% of the world do not live in what we call the United States of America. We've got a lot of work to do. And this lesson should move our spirits towards not only should we crush evil, but how do we crush evil? I want to give you some specific steps today about how we take the kingdom of darkness, uh, light and push back the kingdom of darkness. And it all started with the commissioning and the calling of Adam to do that because, again, we are in the generational line of Adam. Everything God said to Adam, he would and he is saying to us. You agree? All right, right on, agree, yes. Let's do this. All right, Genesis chapter uh, 1, verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image to be like us. That's the image and likeness. That's what makes mankind different than all of creation is that we're made in the image of God and to be like God and to, third, have dominion over the earth. The word dominion means to rule, to dominate, to subdue, to tread upon, to trample on, to be over. Ultimately, I called it to crush. To have dominion means to take your man responsibility that God's given us and crush the evil so that good will flourish. It's to weed the garden where God's placed you so that the crops will have room to grow. And we're called to do that every day. To be in the image of God, in the likeness of God, to have dominion over the places where he's placed us. The Lord God placed Adam in the Garden of Eden to do two things, to work it and to keep it. That was, that was our hour-long discussion last week. Where are the places God's placed you, and what has he called you to do when you get there? It's to work it and to keep it, which ultimately means to serve it, to work hard, and to keep serving it, and keep working hard until we're done. And we're, watch this, we're done when we're dead. And some days, I think, and you might think along with me, I wish that was today. It might actually be today. It feels like it might be later today. And it's probably not. But there's part of us that thinks, I don't know how much longer I can work it and keep it. And God says, let me work along with you. Don't forget the Sabbath. Don't forget to stop your work so that we can keep the work going. Don't forget that all the work that I've started in you, I'm going to use you to actually complete the work, but I'll be the one finishing the work. And maybe that's the reminder you needed from last week's lesson. I'll be the finisher. Let me work through you, and I'll finish what you can never finish. I'm not sure what has happened this week in your life, but mine has been full of a lot of evil exposure. Phone calls out of the blue that just throw evil in my face about how dark marriages are and how 
painful sin is. And how many distractions are there for us as a man? And what does death look like? What does it feel like to have to make the decision of life support for your 22-year-old? That was this week. Not even personally, vicariously through a friend who was knowing and going to that place to help that family process that decision. And I thought, that's what evil does. I can't fathom what that feels like. Affairs, that's what evil at its worst looks like. And I'm begging us this morning to let this scripture do the work in our hearts so that we can crush that kind of evil and advance what God calls the kingdom of good, the kingdom of God. But the Lord commanded Adam, you can eat freely of any tree in the garden where I've placed you except for the tree of the knowledge, watch this, of good and evil. Now, so far, what did God call, or what was the blessing that God put on the end of every day so far in creation? He called every day what? Good. So if we're doing the math, we've had six goods in a row, and at the end of six goods in a row, the last one being the creation of mankind in his image and likeness, and he calls that very good. At the end of all that, he says, now there is a tree that's bad. There is a tree that introduces evil. And my command to you is don't touch that tree. Don't eat that tree. Because if you do, you'll not only know good, because you already know good, but you'll introduce evil. And I didn't, watch this, I didn't create you to know evil. Now, my question, and I brought this up already, why would God put a tree in the garden that even had the opportunity to introduce evil? My wife asked me last night on the way to dinner, she said, Jay, what would it be like if everybody would just do the right thing? What would it be like if no one would gossip, no one would cheat on their family, no one would disrespect, no one had depression? What if Everybody did the right thing and felt the right things. What would that be like? And I said, it would be gardenic. I made that word up last night. You can use that. I said, it would be gardenic. It's, it would be back to what it was supposed to be. And watch this, what it will be again. So if you're tired of the way the garden looks, sometimes the only hope is that it won't always look this way. That it will be set right. And if I'm rightly connected to God, when it is set right, I will be in that garden with Him, ruling, reigning, working, and keeping that garden where everyone does good. And I look forward to that day. I do. Because today the garden has got some weeds, and we've got to crush that kind of evil. Are you with me? You ready to do that? So, God commanded him, don't eat of this tree. You can eat of every tree except for the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to what? The old King James Version that I grew up with in South Georgia said, you will surely die. I'm like, who is Shirley? She's, anyway. You'll surely die. Remember we had a song, Shirley, Goodness, and Mercy. I'm like, really? All of those are going to follow me? I don't want, anyway. You'll surely die. It's not you might die. You could possibly die. 
this could lead to death. My, my cat got bit by a rattlesnake yesterday. And I wasn't sure, like, should I be excited? Is this it? Or is this going to cost me a lot of money? And the second started to ring true. The animal hospital said, well, the antivenom is $600, and then you got a couple overnights today. You're probably looking at almost $2,000. I'm like, Lord, take them. Take them soon. Don't make me have to make that decision in our family. I said, is there another option? And I'm not joking. I was thinking, you know, don't you put them down a lot cheaper than that? I said, our, I mean, he's an old guy. And they, the, the lady looked up from her screen. She goes, he's only seven. I'm like, well, he's almost eight. My son was with me. He goes, Dad, would you put me down? I said, if you cost me 2000 I might. <laughs> I might. And ultimately, we went home with a little bit of pain medication. Uh, not, not us, but the cat. With the hopes that Stan would pull through. I woke up this morning, Stan's just a purring. I'm like, you got poison in you. I knew you were a demon cat. <laughs> you can outlive a rattlesnake bite. And we have you in our home. This is a problem. So it's not that he might live, he might die, go home and take care of him. It's you will die. So why do we look at evil and say, this might not hurt me? I realize it's hurt everyone that's touched it. Everyone that's tasted this has ruined their marriage, but it won't mine. Why do we do that? Why do we think we're the exception to the evil won't harm me rule? And I've never, ever, ever seen an exception, and I've seen a lot of evil. Evil always kills it kills your spirit, kills your relationships, kills your, your life, the willingness to want to be here. It all goes away when we embrace and consume evil on a regular basis. And so God's going, don't do it because I made you to be alive. Your name, Adam, means to be flush with blood. It technically means to be red with life. I called you to live and don't touch the evil that will kill you. Are you hearing me? Let's stay away from that. Of course, now watch this. The serpent is the first introduction of Satan in the scripture. The serpent, chapter 3, was the shrewdest or most subtle of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you cannot eat the fruit of any of the trees of the garden? Do you see a problem? Did God, is God so mean that he won't let you have any fun? God won't let you do anything that any, all the other people do. God is against everything. This is the lie that has come at us since the beginning of time. God wants to keep you from something. And the truth is God has something for you. Not trying to keep something from you. God has life for you, and the only thing he's keeping from you is evil and death. And this is the temptation and always has been. Eve answers in chapter 3, verse 2, Of course we make eat of the fruit from the tree in the garden. 
So, so far, she's right. She goes, of course we can eat of these trees. God told us to enjoy all of them. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. So, so far, so good. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it because if you do, you will die. She left off the Shirley. Politically correct. She didn't want to indict her own race. How much of that was true? She said, we can eat anything except for this tree. That's true. God says, don't touch it or don't eat it. I don't know if he said touch it or don't touch it or not, but it's a good idea. And now, what this leads me to believe is chronologically, Adam was created first. Adam was the one that was given the command before Eve was even on the scene. Let's talk about that tree. Don't eat it or you'll die. Now, go name the animals. When you're done naming the animals, you'll realize that none of those are, are you sexually attracted to or want to be a partner with. Thank God. And I'll give you a woman. And when the woman comes on the scene, don't forget to tell her what I've told you. Why has man always been, in God's story, always been the one responsible? Because he was the first one to have the conversation with God. And we're supposed to convey what God has been telling a man ever since. Now, here's the good news. I always thought Adam dropped the ball, and that's why Eve ate the apple. I always thought Adam dropped the ball, and Eve ate the apple. But in reality, she heard this from Adam. Adam had so far done his job. In fact, maybe Adam did such a good job at saying, let's don't eat that fruit that he added another layer of, hey, let's just be safe. Don't touch it. When that rattlesnake was loose in my neighbor's yard yesterday, I didn't want to touch that thing. I just wanted to kill it with a shovel, and I did. Then I wasn't sure what to do with it. Do I throw it in the green belt and let my other cat eat it? And Huh. Maybe that would be a good idea. No. So I threw it down the storm drain. Polluted the lakes with a rattlesnake. That's not the only thing that my family's ever thrown down the storm drain. One day my daughter was coming down the street with her middle school project. And it was done. And she had gotten her A on it. And she said, I don't need this anymore. And she threw the whole thing down the storm drain. So somewhere in the lake is my daughter's A project. That, well, that was a learning opportunity. We don't throw our projects down the storm drain, just snakes. So God said, don't eat it. Adam told his wife, don't eat it. And she says to the, to the serpent, God said, don't eat it. So we're not going to. Watch this. Verse 4 of chapter 3, the serpent says, you won't die. Just a blatant lie. God said, you will surely die. You will for sure die. And Satan came back and said, you won't die. Watch this. Now, this is super important that we learn this. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you'll be like God. And you'll know both good and evil. Now, question. How many lies did the serpent tell Eve in that statement? Da, na, na, na. All right, we got two. We got three. We got one. Got two. One. 
And the reason Keith answered one is because he attended the Northwest Man Up, and he's already heard this lesson. You cheater. There's just one. There's just one lie in that whole statement. Watch this. He's, Satan started with one lie followed by three truths. Watch this because he says, you won't die. There's the lie, the blatant lie. God knows that your eyes will be opened. Later in the scriptures, we actually see that once they ate it, their eyes were opened. So that was true. They saw something that they had never seen. Actually, something God never intended them to see. But that was true. Your eyes will be open. He says, you'll be like God. That was already true. They did not need to disobey God to be like God. God had already made us in his likeness. So that was already true. And he says, and if you eat that, you'll know both good and evil. That's true. That's true. He called it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And ultimately, he's going, you only know good. Let's keep it that way. See what Satan did? It's the same thing he still does. He doesn't come at us with four lies. He comes at us with one lie surrounded by three truths so that we will bite into that hook, lie, and sinker. We will bite into that hook, lie, and sinker. It looks good, it smells good, it feels good, it must be good, hook, line, sinker. One lie followed by three truths. How does he still do that to us today? He does it like this. You've worked hard. Yeah. So therefore you deserve this. Maybe. It won't hurt you. Lie. You with me? They wronged you. True. They're going to get away with it. Possibly. You need to make sure they pay. Lie. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You see how that happens? She's ignoring you. True. You have sexual needs. Hello, black walnut. Yes, true. Because she's ignoring you. And you have sexual needs. This woman's paying attention to you. True. Therefore, sleep with that woman. That was yesterday's phone call. True. 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 Lie. And it's the lie that kills you. We've got to be willing and able to do the hard work to begin to know what a lie is. We've got to be able to identify what the lies are so that we can not bite into them. Hook, line, and sinker. Here's the truth. Temptation is just an invitation to believe a lie. That's all it is. There's nothing wrong with temptation. It's not wrong to be tempted or Jesus sinned. It's not wrong to have those lies presented to you. It's wrong to believe them and act on them. Temptation is an invitation to believe a lie. Take care of it yourself. Satisfy yourself. It's okay. No one will know. Everyone does it. That's just how taxes go. All these are lies. And we're tempted to believe them. And God says, hold on, hold on. Temptation is just an invitation to believe a lie. One year ago when we finished Man of Gideon, we talked about the idols in our life that had tricked us. 
had told us that they were God, had told us that we needed to bow down to them because we needed them in our life. That was one year ago. On the other side of that year, on the other side of that conversation, man, I'm giddy. And I got a phone call from a, from a wife who said, you're not going to believe this, Jay, but my husband who came to your man up Gideon has now stopped smoking. And Jay, he smoked his whole life. He's tried every remedy you can imagine, and nothing worked. But something you said from the scriptures clicked in him, and he's not had a cigarette since. I don't know what happened, but it seems like he's free. So I called that man, and I said, bro, what happened? Tell me what happened. I said, did you just put it down? How did you do that? Did you just put it down? And that man, Eddie Saroyan, said, no, I just gave it up. I texted him last night. I said, are we still smoke-free? And he said, smoke-free. Can we clap for that? Yeah. Because we went on to discuss, he says, I had bowed down to that idol my whole life because I thought I had to. And the scriptures revealed that I had the power to say no to that. And not just this time, just put it down, but this time, give it up. That's what, is, he says, I was tempted to believe a lie, and I have believed that lie my whole life. I no longer believe that lie. So point number one. And in 30 minutes, I'm going to give you, 25 minutes, I'm going to give you some practical steps to crushing evil. And the first one is this. We crush evil by knowing what's true. If I don't recognize that's evil, it looks good, smells good, tastes good, and feels good, but it's not good. It's a lie. And at its core, it wants me to bite it, have it, drink it, smoke it sleep with it, wrestle with it, caress it. It wants me to be with it because it wants to consume me. It's not true, and I'm saying no to it. How do we crush evil? We crush evil by knowing what's true. Like the old counterfeit deal, like the, the tellers. You've heard this before because preachers love to say the same things over and over. They don't train the tellers to spot counterfeit money they train them to know what's real. And if you get exposed to enough truth, then the minute the lie shows up, you go, hold on, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't seem to be true. And you go to God's word to verify, is that true or should I avoid it and say no to it like the plague? Because it is. You've got to crush evil by, number one, knowing truth. John chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus said this word. This is why John is a good read. Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will what? Set you free. Now, here's the problem. 80% of our city is not actively connected to a truth-giving, truth-teaching, pastor, church, Bible, spiritual encounter at any level this weekend. 80% of our city. That is a problem. Because if this is the truth that sets me free, and I'm not ever exposed to it, then I won't know what's true. 
The scripture says that when man makes up his own mind what's true and does what's right in his own heart, that the whole thing goes to hell in a handbasket. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And he was talking about the word. Where there is no word, the communities crumble. Where there is no truth, marriages don't make it. Where there is no truth, businesses are riddled with fear and doubt and greed. Why? Because there's no truth to offset how to run a business according to God's truth. We've got to know the truth. Gentlemen, how are you getting to know this? What spiritual rhythms have you put in your, play, in your life? Maybe you don't even have one of these. That's why I bring them. Start reading in the book of John and ping me and say, I've got some questions and I'll help you. If you say, where do I start? I'll give you some podcasts. At the end of next week, you'll get an email with a list of some of my favorite truth-giving podcasts. I listen to about 15 hours a week of spiritual truth. Why? Because I'm giving it out all day. I'm giving it out all day. That's continuing education to know the truth so that when I see lies, I can go, that's not, you know, brother, you know, that's not true. That's not what the scripture says. That's not what you were made for. That's not how to parent. That's not how to marriage. You got to know the truth. And my question is this. Are you doing the hard work to get to know the truth? Here's the truth. Your choices will take you places. Your choices take you places. In this scenario, their choices begin to move them away from God that they were supposed to be right next to. I got this text on Thursday, September 10th, a year ago, September This was from a man named Alan, who also gave me full permission to share his story this morning. And he said, in fact, if there's any man in the room that that's their story, tell them to call me because I want to help them walk through the story. So if this resonates with you, contact me. I'll give you Alan's cell number. Alan was introduced to me by a friend. And it says, Alan has just recently had an affair. It's blown up his entire marriage. They've now had to move here from another city to get away from the carnage that that left. He's had to find a new job. The kids have had to go to a new school. Their marriage may not make it. Will you meet with him? Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, let's do that. More coffee? Yes, please, more coffee. And Alan and I began to meet along with the friend that recommended him that is a strong mentor in his life. And Alan received the grace and forgiveness of Jesus went to counseling with his wife, did intensive therapy, did all the hard work to stay plugged into truth and recovered from that fall. And his choices that were negative had taken him bad places, but equally true, his choices that were life-giving were restoring life to him again. So your choices take you places. Your good choices, I mean, your bad choices take you bad places, but it's equally true that your good choices take you good places. I walked by the desk of someone this week, had their head down, and I'm like, oh my gosh, are you okay? No. I said, you know, you're one choice away from all that being over with. You're one choice away from all that being over with. Right now, they've not made that. So Alan sent me this text. He says, hey, I want to thank you for everything you've done for me and my family this last year. One year ago today, I was at complete rock bottom. Now I have hope, peace, and a strong desire to continue making this daily sacrifice 
and surrender that we've been talking about. I appreciate you, brother, and I love you. Your choices take you places. Your bad choices leave carnage and death in its wake. But, but, your life-giving choices bring you to the one-year-later mark. And I'm begging you, some of you, today to do that. Your choices take you places. The woman was convinced. Remember, Satan was going, you won't die. Eat this. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took the fruit and she ate it. And then she gave it to her husband who was with her. There's his fall. He watched her sin and said nothing. He watched her sin and said nothing. He watched her sin and said nothing. Pastor Matt Chandler says this, and this quote's on the next page, and you can fill it in later. He says this. He said, sometimes the greatest temptation is to be silent when our voice is needed. Sometimes our greatest temptation as a man is to be silent when it's actually time to speak up. Our voice is needed. And that was the moment that he was silent. You see the progression of sin? She saw it. She wanted it. She took it. She ate it. And she gave it. We've got to be able to recognize that the choices that you're on, Andy Stanley calls it the principle of the path. The path that I'm on does have a destination. And if I'm headed in that direction, I will end up in that destination every time. If I go 35 north, I will end up in Dallas, not Houston. Well, I just don't think you can tell me that. Okay, I won't tell you that. But you're still going to end up there because your direction takes you to a destination. It's the principle of the path. Where on that path are you? Have you started to look at things and then want them? Have you moved on that path to consuming things that kill you? Emotions that kill you, rage that kills you, anger and jealousy that kills you, lust that kills you. What is it and where are you on that path? And you're one choice away from eating it and sharing that carnage with everyone you know. Would you really eat it if you knew it would kill you? And would you take it home and give it to your family? No, but we still do that. That's what sin does is it deceives us into thinking I can head this direction and end up at a different destination. And the scripture has said since day one, not true. How do I crush evil? I got to crush evil by knowing what is true. At that moment, say this with me. At that moment, there what? Eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness and they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Watch this, man. We've been covering ourselves ever since. The moment we consume that emotion, that action, that addiction, that relationship that begins to bring death and decay starts to set in and we're unsure what to do with it and we certainly don't want to be called out and we certainly don't want to be exposed, so we cover it. But underneath this nice pink shirt, last year was a piece of skin cancer that had I not said, take it out, would kill me. 
And it was just right here. It's just a little freckle that was a little different than the others. And had I ignored it and just continued to cover it, it would eventually kill me. And it's time, gentlemen, that we uncover it and do the hard work of saying, get it all out. Get it all out. Two weeks ago, I had a lunch with a buddy. He said, Jay, I came to your other man up recently. And the day you did the lesson about coming out of the bushes and to remove the covering was the day that my wife found out about my long-standing addiction to porn. That was the day. And he said, and I came clean. We had just talked about it that morning. And I decided to go ahead and come on out of the bushes and not cover that anymore, but to try to receive her forgiveness, God's grace, and someone's help. And he goes, and I'm six weeks on the other side of that. I can't tell you. I had no idea how dead I was. I had no idea how entrapped I was. I had no idea that I couldn't even look at my wife and enjoy her anymore. I had no idea that I had stopped spending time with my kids. I had stopped leading them in spiritual discussions because everything was centered around that thing. Jay, this was his text to me. I've been long overdue for a follow-up. I've started counseling with my wife. It's gone very well. We're really working hard at talking to each other and taking time for each other. It feels like God woke me up that morning from a long spiritual hibernation. My kids and I have started praying together, and we're actually doing our own Bible study. I still have a hard time with journaling, but I'm working on it. Oh, God's disappointed. Oh, forget it. <laughs> Loser. Can't journal. He says, God woke me and my wife up just in time to save our marriage and be there for our kids. That's from this lesson not too long ago. And you would probably even know this guy. And I can't tell you how exciting it is to sit at lunch and say, this is what it looks like on the other side of the bushes. This is what it looks like on the other side of the bushes. Crush evil by walking with truth. See, here's what happens. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard God walking in the garden, and they hid from the Lord God. The one person they were supposed to enjoy, the one person they were mirrored in his image and likeness to be like him and to be with him, that's the one person they were hiding from. Watch this, and here's, the, here's where this lesson came from today. And the Lord God called to the man. He called to the man. Here's the truth. While you're still in hiding, God's still calling. While you're still hiding, God is still calling. You think, no, God calls me when I'm doing good, and he calls me son, and he calls me favor, and he calls me warrior, and he calls me all these names. No, when I'm in the bushes hiding is God's going, Jay, come on out, bro. You're supposed to be out here crushing evil, not hiding behind it. You're supposed to have dominion over that bush, and you're hiding behind it. You're supposed to be its leader, but you're its servant. Come out of the bushes. Crush evil by walking with me. He says, where are you? And Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I hid. I was afraid 
because I was naked. He was naked and afraid. It's a good show, by the way. Who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you? Basically, he's going, did you do what I told you not to do? Is that where we're at? He was actually saying, would you be willing to admit that you violated my principles? Would you be willing to confess that you were wrong and come on out of the bushes? Would you be willing to confess so that you can receive my covering and not your covering? Because your covering is letting me see some of your private parts. See, we cover with money, approval, addiction, entertainment, work. We cover with all kinds of things. And men, our coverings are letting people see our private parts. It doesn't really cover. We think we're covered. You ever taught at a large group and you've had your fly down the whole time? And somebody's like, you're like, what, what? Oh, you're really getting into the message. And where they're going is, you're exposed, bro. You're exposed. And we think we're covered, but we're really exposed. And God says, when you confess and come out of the bushes, I now have a covering waiting for you that truly covers. And you're going to want my covering, not yours. You with me? All right, 10 minutes. Who told you you were naked? Adam replied, it was the woman. It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? She goes, it was the serpent. Have not, haven't we been doing that ever since? The minute we step away from truth, three things show up. Write these three things down in the, in the side. Three things show up when we step away from truth. If these three things are present in your life on an ongoing basis, you can be sure you're believing a lie and not walking with truth. If these three things are present, you can be confident that you are ignoring truth and believing and walking in a lie. And there are these three things that we see here. Fear. Now, I'm afraid every day, but not afraid enough to keep me from stopping. I'm talking about the fear that keeps you paralyzed. You don't do anything because you're so afraid. It goes, that's a lie, and you've chosen to believe it. Fear, shame, well, I can't do that. I talked to a guy yesterday, actually a pastor, who had had potentially his third or more affair. I said, how can we help you? So what we did was pay for some counseling, some professional counseling. I said, I, I've already sent the check. You've got to go. Take your wife. We've got to stop this. And he says, oh, Jay, I'm not going to be able to, to lead my family for a long time because of what I've done. I said, no, your family needs you to get right and begin to lead them is what you should have done all along. Come out of the bushes. Receive the covering and get back in your spot. Don't believe that lie that God is ashamed of the, me, therefore I need to walk with shame the rest of my life. Let the shame be covered by God's graces. Fear, shame, and blame. If you're blaming everybody else, and that was mine, by the way, it was your fault. You didn't give me enough accolades. You didn't give me the platform that I needed. You didn't recognize how good my gifts were. It's blaming. It's their fault. It's his fault. I can't do it because I didn't have this, and I didn't have this because you didn't give me this. Fear, shame, and blame are an evidence that you're walking in a lie and not believing 
the truth. So crush evil by actually walking with truth. Watch this, and we're gonna, I'm going to let you dialogue this on your own, but you crush evil by actually speaking the truth against it. You speak the truth against the evil is a way to crush it. When Jesus was tempted, he quoted truth against the temptations. When the disciples were sent out, Jesus sent them out with truth and said, Take this kingdom near, and you'll crush serpents with it. You'll raise the dead with this truth. You will um, heal the sick with this truth, and you will bring people into the kingdom with this truth. But you've got to go speak this truth. Some of us go, Well, I believe it. But we've never said it. At the prayer meeting yesterday morning, I said, don't just call on the name of the God. Don't just pray to God. Say the name of God. Let's get busy today sharing this truth with our families. Share it with ourselves. Share it with our friends. Get a text message going, going, hey, bro, don't go down with that lie. Speak the truth into your friend's life. Speak the truth into your wife. Speak the truth into your son, your daughter. Your coworker, your manager, that person at the office who is going off the rails, speak this truth. How do we crush evil? By speaking the truth. There's power in these words. You believe that? Amen? There's power in these words, but we got to say them. We got to get over. My wife, she's good at this. At times, we would go into our children's room when they weren't there, and sometimes when they were asleep, and just begin to speak. God's truth over them in prayer and ask for the devil to get out of that. The, the, the most horrific night of my life happened about a year and a half ago and my wife just verbally outburst, outburst, said the devil will not rule in this house. He will not take your heart. He will not control you. And I, we will damn that stuff to hell where it belongs in the name of Jesus and just begins to weep and wail and pray God's truth over my son because he needed it. And I've been there too. And you've been there too. Speak the truth. Who needs to hear the truth from you? And there's a discourse that we're not going to cover, but ultimately God says, Satan, come here. I've got some things. To, you're going to crawl on your belly, and I'm going to kill you. Man, I mean, woman, you're going to have issues with your children and tension with your husband. Man, you're going to work hard and still not be satisfied. Are we clear? And watch this. But inside of that statement, he says, but I will send a Messiah. This is the first mention of Jesus. And it doesn't say his name, but ultimately when you study the scriptures, you know that's what he's referring to. Genesis 3.15. He says, he, Jesus, will strike or crush your head. This is where the crushed evil came from. And you, Satan, You'll strike his heel, but he'll crush your head. We will win. How did God Almighty crush the first presence of evil? He said, we're going to win. Oh, you're going to strike us on the toe, and it's going to swell up, and we're going to go to the doctor, and we're going to have to, we're going to experience some pain and some family tension, and some work drama, and some purpose, some lack of purpose. We're going to go through all of that, but let's be clear about this, Satan. I do win. That's the kind of truth. Sometimes that's the only truth that gets you through the day. 
this truth will win, and it will be set right, and it will be gardenic again, and sometimes that's the only truth that I can hold on to and that you can speak into. Here's the truth. One of our biggest temptations is to be silent when our voice is needed. One of the biggest temptations is to be silent when our voice is needed. Who needs to hear truth from you today? Who needs to hear truth from you today? You might need to call your boss and say, I'm going to be a few minutes late today, but I am coming in. But I got a phone call I need to make. It's time to come out of the bushes with no defenses. It's time to come out of the bushes with no defenses. It's time to come out of the bushes, hands up, no defenses. It's time to speak the truth and let God cover me. See, the most beautiful verse in the entire story of Adam is this one at the top of that last page. It says, The Lord God made clothing from the animal skins for Adam and his wife, and he covered them. And he's been covering us ever since. Now, he's a good God. My wife says this. God's a gentleman, and he doesn't force anything on you that you don't receive from him. So it's going, I got, I got these. Do you want to put them on? Do you want to cover that shame and fear and guilt with power and righteousness and holiness and saintliness? Do you want to put these on? They're for you. They're, your, they're just your size. Do you want to wear these? Right? No, I love my filthy rags. I love the disease. I love the decay. I love the death. I love the stench. I love, how, I love all this pain. I love the depression. And God's going, I'm not going to force you, but these are here for you. These are here for you. They're my ring. They're the fatted calf. They're the sunly robe. And they're here for you. Would you put them on? In Luke chapter 15, he says, would you come into the party? I know where you've been. I know what you've done. I know you slept with whores and spent all my money. I know that. I know about the all-night parties. I know about the embezzlement. I know about the depression and the anger and the guilt and the greed. I know all about it. I know all about it. Do you want to come into the party? Put this on. Do you want to come into the party? Put this on. It's the same covering. And I'm begging you this morning as we close. Would you come out of the bushes with no defenses? Would you come out of the bushes with no defenses. Would you come out of the bushes with no defenses? God, thank you for your covering. Thank you for, boy, it feels good. It's 100% cotton. It fits right. It looks good. It smells like fabric softener. When I put it on, I don't ever want to take it off. I don't want to go back to the old ways, to the old J. Thank you for the covering. Thank you for what you've done in our hearts. Thank you for the Todd in this room and my other friends, that the emails that I read. Thank you for the Allens in this room who will come out of the bushes today and say, cover me for the first time. And may it be the last time. I'll never take the covering off again. I want to walk in freedom, speak the truth, and receive your covering. I want to receive 
your covering. I don't ever do this, and I've never done it in this room before, but with your heads bowed and no one looking, please don't look, just me, just me. If that's you today, if you're going, I, there's the bush I've been hiding behind, and I'm coming out of that today. I am coming out of that bush today, and I'm going to find the truth and walk in it and receive it today. Would you raise your hand? Good. Amen. Lord, thank you. Go with us. Help us to do that in Christ's name. Amen.